Welcome to the Rise Up Fitness Podcast, broadcast from sunny Santa Barbara, California. We're here to go back to the facts, educate you in health and fitness, and help you rise up to your full potential. Hello and welcome to Rise Up SD. Uh, we've got another day lined up for you, as I suppose everybody does. Um, one more day, but we're getting through it, guys. Um, and today we thought maybe we would go into some of our favorite memories. So specifically fitness memories today and kind of reflect on some of the things that have brought us to where we are in terms of our fitness and in terms of, you know, maybe what inspired us to um, have our part in beginning rise up, of course, with Emily. Um, But just kind of what are the experiences we've had with fitness that we really uh, look upon fondly? Okay. Yeah. Things that we remember fitness related things on there. So, yeah. We got to get Emily. We should get Emily on this one. We'll get her back I know. We should, we should ask her this one and have her do it. Yeah. If you um, guys think we're just excluding Emily or she doesn't like you guys, it's not true. She's just, uh, we're in the studio <clears throat> filming and doing stuff a lot more and she's not in the studio as much. She's doing a lot more behind the scenes from her house. So. Because she has a newborn. She has a newborn. So that's kind of so, taking up a little bit of her time. A little bit of her time and we want her to be able to do that. So that's why we're podcasting. But next, she was actually in the studio today. So next time she's in, we'll make sure we nab her and make sure we podcast with her. So Yeah, so you can hear her too. Um, and we have to thank again, Sarah, for this uh idea for the podcast she really gave us a list and we appreciate it so much so if there's anything that you want to yeah, hear we're on day 43 or i don't even something, wanna, something. so well yeah it's uh, amazing we've gotten this many podcasts in so far i know well we do love to talk so we, we have that going for us okay all right do you want to start first um, memory or first favorite so you said memory? you said favorite fitness memory i have a lot of like good ones but i was kind of thinking i would maybe go with the good a bad and the ugly okay go so for it. The, uh, these, like are, it. these are not necessarily like great fitness things These are very memorable fitness thing cool go for okay. it number one um well number one i'll just go the easy the the the, the lob um my the good we'll start with the good okay the good and the best is probably the best race i've ever had 2012 i went to the iron man world championships um and a lot of you may know this some of you may not um but this was a um, kind of something I had going in that year. So I had did an Ironman. It's it's challenging to get to. You have to qualify. So Kyle, you, some of somewhat of a big cheese in the yeah. triathlon world, as they say. Yeah. So basically, and you should take that as a compliment because I love cheese. Oh, there you go. Thank you. Um, so basically, you have to do a full Ironman to even get a qualification slot. Um, and what is an Ironman? Remind those of us who might not know. Two point four mile swim, one hundred and twelve mile bike, and then a, a marathon, a twenty six mile run. Casual twenty six point two. Don't forget yeah. the point two. Point that's two. the hardest part. No, so that's not the hardest part. <laughs> so no, hear. because the, then they see the crowds and you're point two away. That's not the hardest part. Okay. About, about mile 18 to 24 is. Okay. Well, anyway, it's yeah. a, it's how long of a race is it typically? Um, For top age groupers like myself that go to world championships, you're looking at nine hours. Nine hours straight. You have 18 to finish. Straight. Okay. Wow. Nine hours straight for the top. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, not top professionals, but the top age groupers. So it's very different from what most people might think of as like a race. It's not you pushing yourself the whole time to run the fastest you've ever run or bike the fastest you've ever biked. It's about it's about how can you yeah. do that over nine hours? Because right. if you sprint the first hour, then you're Correct. toasted. The right? goal of an Ironman is really not to go fast, quote unquote, at any point. It's to literally just not slow down and over nine hours that's the winner doesn't slow down Mm -hmm. so um so i had to do so so going back i had to do a i did ironman st george in utah in may as a qualification i actually almost didn't qualify because for whatever odd reason 
I had very, very strong people in my age group. So in my age group, there's the five-year increments. I think there was... Well, your age group at the time was different than your age group now. It is, but it's... Yeah. So it was 25 to 29 at the time. Mm -hmm. Oh, you were a baby. I know. It's a baby. 25 to 29 at the time. Um, Five-year increments, and you've got that that section. And then within that section of five-year increments, you've got... um, Basically, I probably, I think I had, I can't remember, 200, let's say 250 to 300 people in my age group. Mm-hmm. Typically, there's two or three slots. Wow. Okay. Two or three that go, and there are 250 people who could want them. Yeah. Well, any, anyone wants them. them. Okay. Everyone wants them. Mm-hmm. If you can go to the world championship, you basically go to the world championship. Right. So over a race of two, two to 3,000 people, there's 50 slots. So it's wow. less than 1% of yeah. the race gets yeah. a qualification to go to the world championships. Oh, it's like applying to college all over again. Right. But you and, have to do it all in one day. Yeah. It's like and, you take and, all your and, AP tests and SATs right. in one day. And so that race was actually competitive. And um, oddly enough, I had a very, I finished fourth overall in the entire race mm-hmm. and I was third in my age group, which oh, wow. is so atypical. Oh, wow. So a really strong age group. Correct. And there yeah. wasn't even guaranteed that there was going to be three. And mm-hmm. one of them was in my age group, one of them that went was my buddy who I trained with, who I knew, the goal was for us to get the one and two slot. Mm-hmm. And someone came in and beat us. That mm-hmm. was kind of, so it was, that's where it was. I was third over, I was third in our age group, mm-hmm. fourth overall. I almost didn't get a slot, but I did. So I mm-hmm. felt fortunate. So that was in Utah. That's in May. And then I got to race another Ironman in October. So you're looking at, a, you can't just roll into a race and qualify. Yeah. So you're looking at six not months. Not with a nine hour race, I would imagine. You're looking at six months of training to qualify and then six months of training to race. And you got to make sure you're and not this burned is out. Assuming that you're already in some sort of base shape, right? You don't go from zero to six months. Well, yeah, you have to be in base shape and then six months in right. hard training. Right? Yeah, I mean, I'm just saying like if you I don't were... go off the couch. Right. Or even if I were to tell you, me being somebody who has very limited experience in swimming and biking and, and somewhat less, but still very limited in running. Yeah. If I were to tell you, hey, Kyle, I want to do an Ironman. You, and you know year. that I work out all the time. It's a two-year plan. It's right. So it's not just like a, yeah. oh, you yeah, know. I wake up and I'm going to yeah. do this in six months from now. It's I'm not gonna six be months from you. For people right. who do Ironman races, it's six months. For someone who's never done one or never really done triathlon, it's mm-hmm. about a two-year plan to do it correctly so that's just good to know like the context of how Mm -hmm. how long and how hard you do have to work to be able to excel in a race like this so so then i go so that was in may and then i got a little regroup and then i had to train again so just to let you guys know like the focus and the dedication is i'm training 16 to 22 hours a week of actual working out time that doesn't include insane that doesn't include to and from workouts and other times and you know what all the recovery and foam rolling and everything else. That's physically moving time. Right. So, and when you think about like for context, if you work out at Rise Up six days a week, that's six hours of working yeah. out a week. Right. And so there's a lot of things that can happen. Sickness, illness, injury that can go into this. Oh, sickness or illness? Sickness. <laughs> Either one of those. Or illness <laughs> or injury. So there's a lot of things that can go into this. Um, and leading up. So there has to be some luck. There has to be some skill. There has to be some preparation and a lot, a lot of dedication. Right. So to give you guys a good idea, and that's kind of six months leading up to Ironman World Championships, um, doing that, I, I typically would do about nine to 10 workouts a week in that 16 to 22 hour range, depending on what it is. And there's a structure. You build, 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 and then you recover. And then you build, 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 and recover. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and within that six month period, I uh, only missed one workout um, that I didn't actually do. That was a scheduled workout. Yeah, that was a scheduled workout in six months of 10 workouts per week. So that's wow. kind of the dedication. Yeah, that's the reason was, is I was, 
flying back and I was supposed to be back in at home and in my bed by 9 p.m. and flights got canceled and whatever and um, I ended up in bed at uh, like 3 or 4 a.m. Mm-hmm. and I was supposed to be up at 5.30 a.m. for a swim workout and I was just exhausted from traveling and I just made the decision that it would be actually better to sleep in and get some recovery because I knew I had hard workouts coming up and there wasn't a way to well, yeah, that you, workout back in. Well, that that's week. one of those things where like, it's not like you just had that swim workout and then you were going to get to rest. You had no. a zillion other workouts no. that were going to stack no. on top of it. So, so, but I didn't miss any workouts. I, I didn't miss workouts. I didn't, you know, whatever. I didn't have a life. It was train, 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 train. And my training went almost perfectly, like the best it could possibly go. It doesn't mm-hmm. mean every workout is great because it's not. Well, it doesn't always feel good. But. It doesn't always feel good, but you don't always nail every workout. But the key workouts were great. The last 12 weeks going in were superb, and that just made it made the, the pressure on me myself better. There was no excuses. There was right. no reason why I couldn't perform, and I knew that I could be in the top 10. That was my goal if I had a flawless training. And so now you've got all this stress and pressure on yourself. And just to interject, too, about, you know, this is – when we're talking about this is like a super intense – not professional in terms of like you're not getting paid for this you're still an amateur but like professional no, level training full-time. plan right yes. so not every workout is going to go perfectly for Kyle there are ones that he had to reach for right that's yeah, the if same every, thing if every like, workout goes perfectly you're not pushing yourself hard exactly enough. so that's what I want to bring it around to when you're doing workouts at Rise Up you know I've had talked to people a lot of times where it's like well, I just can't even hit my numbers today. There's no way I can reach this. Like normally I do, you know, intermediate numbers and I'm not even touching them today. There are workouts that you, if you are hitting all of the numbers every single time without a problem, you're not working at the right level. Right, right. And then there are workouts where it should be achievable. You should be able to get it. Right. So just a reminder that we do mix that up too. And we do that on purpose yeah. to mimic this kind of training. And, and this could be a podcast on its own. I can get to the nuances. With well, maybe we'll, we'll save that for another for day. Right. Yeah. But it win is, is, is the best it could have is Good. in my eyes. So going into the race. So you're there at the time I was president of the triathlon club. That's 200 members. I have them following me. I have 16 people uh, accompany me to the race on the big island of Hawaii. Well, it must have been hard to twist their arm to get you to go. It's not hard to get <laughs> twist people's arm to get them to go to Will Hawaii. Will you come to my race in Hawaii? No, I didn't even invite me. these people. They basically just told me they were coming. I'm like, the more the merrier. Let's go. Um, so it was aw- an awesome experience. It was, it was great. Everything went in perfectly. And basically just um, without getting into the details of the race, kind of raised my heart out. Um, and... I had, you know, I, there was a couple of mistakes that I looked at and I made in the race. Like you can look back and you can say, oh, I could have done this. I could have done this. I could have done this. But when I really think about it, everything really, really went my way. And it was kind of like the culmination of the training, mental preparation, and then executing on the day. I didn't do anything magical on the day. What I did on the day was absolutely everything I was capable of doing. Which in itself, it can be. It's very challenging to do. Yeah. I mean, just to race. execute, but also to like. You know, deal with maybe if there's a, it's unexpectedly 10 degrees hotter than you thought or you ate something off three days before and you didn't feel well and none yeah, of those things happen. You have right? to be able to adjust and you have yeah. to be able to do things and whatever and manage everything from nutrition to racing to fuel or whatever. But to give you guys an idea of how close it was. So the top five get on the podium at, on the stage the next day. And that's a huge honor and a huge deal and like something that you remember for the rest of your life. And so I came in. About three minutes and uh, three and a half minutes behind the winner. Over a nine-hour race. Over a nine-hour race. And I know you're saying like, oh, my God, you were so close. And I would think that. But I 
went back and, you know, they tell me put together every single way of where I could have made up time. What did I go too slow? Did I go too fast? Whatever. And I, I think I lost on the back half of the marathon, a minute and a half to two minutes. I could have been maybe faster potentially was. So when I looked at everything I added up, um, there was no way I was making up that three and a half minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you look at my spot through sixth place in the race, so sixth, which didn't get on the podium, mm-hmm. there was a difference of three minutes and 20 seconds. This is in my That's age insane. group. Yes. Yeah. So three minutes and 20 seconds lower, I don't stand on the podium. And with the place I did, I was in second place standing on the podium. Mm-hmm. And just to give you a little bit of context about how, you know, was it really a race over nine hours? Well, the guy that finished behind me swam slightly faster than me by a few seconds, biked mm-hmm. slightly faster than me by a few seconds, and ran slightly faster than me by a few seconds. But his I had transitions. Better, I had better mm-hmm. transitions than him. And mm-hmm. that was the difference between third place and second place was he spent an extra minute in transitions that I didn't do. Right. Use. So that was your your first good. We'll call it your good. That's my be- that's the best race of my life. But okay. that's my good. So okay. go ahead. That was a long winded one. We that's gotta make okay. these faster. But I that know was- that's okay. My my memories are not quite as epic <laughs> as yours, so don't worry about it. Um, I would say so. I mine probably won't necessarily follow that good, bad, and ugly pattern. But my um, fitness memories basically are encompassed in in three categories: are dance, ballet, which is what I did for most of my life. Um, what I would call like the rise up style workouts, kind of excelling in that group fitness arena and then running, which is something that, um, I still don't have a ton of experience in, but I'm going to start with because it's something that, um, I find extremely challenging and no matter how strong I feel like I get in the gym or, or if I feel really good on the climber, which I love or whatever, which is supposed to be the, one of the most difficult things when I start running, I'm back in you know, third grade, not able to keep up with anybody else or feeling like I, you know, just not capable. And, uh, my mom's a runner and she always ran as, as long as I can remember. And I always, I mean, I never asked my mom what her paces were. I didn't even know what paces were. And I still don't really know what she was running, but I thought it was so awesome that she would go out and run like, Oh yeah, I ran six miles. Like that's what she would do for her physical health, for her mental health. And I was like, Oh, I want to be a runner like my mom. And every time I would try to run, I would, it, I hated it. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to like it, but it's I didn't. It's not easy in the beginning. I can't say that I loved running in the beginning either. Like no, it it's yeah. honestly, I felt like it sucks. And I know a lot of people take to it naturally, but I'm just not one of those people. I, I think there's a lot. There are some, but I don't think there's a lot that take well, to it naturally. But I, I had to fight for every step. Um, and I did a, a half marathon in college when I wasn't running at all. So I went off of no training. Every, a bunch of girls in my sorority were doing it. I signed up. I ran the Nike women's half marathon in San Francisco. And by ran, I mean, walked most of it and got pneumonia after it was done. And it was great. Not, <laughs> it wasn't, that's not the memory, but several years later, I ran it two more times. So different races, both in San Francisco. Um, I did the first half of the San Francisco marathon with my friend, Jen. And then we did the second half the following year mm-hmm. and the second year. So the first, the first time that I did it, I took like an hour off of the previous time because I mostly, you weren't walking. I wasn't walking the whole time. So that was like, you know, you PR by an hour, you're like, Oh, I'm killing it. Yeah, no. Um, but the next awesome. year I actually trained and I had Kyle write, help me out and write me a training plan. And it was really the first time that I'd committed to an actual plan because the problem and, and, and actually training yes, directly for it, because the problem with me was that 
when there was a plan, there was an opportunity to fail. And that really scared me because I wasn't good at it naturally. And a lot of other things in my life that I've excelled at, I had at least a little bit of talent backing me up. Yeah. And with this, I had none. It was just grit and, you know, dedication. And I had a really hard time when I would do badly, when I would have a run that didn't go well, it would derail me completely. I would feel awful. I would feel incapable. I would just let it totally emotionally destabilize me for a long time to the point where like, you know, two days later when I'm supposed to run again, I'd be like, I can't even run. Yeah. And it was, and really running and, and it's, I'm not a professional. It's not my livelihood. It won't make or break my life, but I was so invested in it and I gave it so much power over me that I didn't like feel like I could do well in it. And so there had to be a mental shift at some point in that training that was like, okay, look, this is not your whole life. If you want to stop and never run again, you can stop and never run again. But the reason that you're getting so agonized over this is because you actually want to do well. So chill out and figure out how you can do a little bit better than you did last time. Right. And when I actually did the race, um, I was excited one because, uh, I actually managed to hold the pace that I was hoping to hold, which again was not fast by any means, but it was the plan. And I was actually able to execute it. And I ran it about, I think 13, 12 or 13 minutes faster than I did the year before, which when you look at a half marathon is about a minute per mile faster than I had the year before, which is a big deal to take take a minute per mile off was a really big thing for me. I'll take three seconds per mile. Yeah. And it was, so being able to complete that and actually get to the race, get up there, you know, get over the nerves and do it with my friend, which is also the other bonus. And in a city that I love, because I love San Francisco. Um, And I went to school up there. So that's why I did the first the first half marathon up there um, was just such an exciting experience and was so much fun. And um, I can't remember if that was the year that you, Kyle was, was watching, you know, that you have a little time chip on your shoe now or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And he was watching. I think it stopped working in the middle. I was like, so uh, it looked like I stopped, uh, but I didn't finish, but I didn't. No, I know that so I it was, it. it was really gratifying to just get over the mental block that Ooh, I had yeah. that. Well, I, I remember that run, too. And I think that the know? mental block thing is a lot of people get out is like, <laughs> What's the analogy? Basically, it's like kind of like this is a, it's kind of horrible because it's not really shoot for the moon. And if you you know if you fail, oh, you miss you'll land among the stars. stars but, which is not true because how are you going to shoot for the moon, which is closer than the stars? I know, right? I whatever. Right, but the whole point of it is is that like shoot for a high goal, and if you fail, fail high, and you're a little bit then you're way above if you didn't have a goal type. Right, and the whole thing was like if you do this, it's better. Like the fact that you follow through with this training plan, no matter how the race goes, you should be proud of what you did. Cause you didn't give into those feelings of like inadequacy, which was what I felt. I felt totally inadequate and just so frustrated. I, I wanted to be a toddler that just said, well, if I can't do it, then I'm just going to stop. Yeah. You know, but yeah. I was really proud of that, that race. Yeah. Um, and just to, even though again, it wasn't fast by any means. Well, and, that's okay. I mean, that's not the point. It's, it was a goal for you and it was right. well, it for you. It was just funny. Cause at the very end of the race, we're, you know, they're giving out the awards and everything. And we're in like the pavilion where they have all the free stuff and we're hanging out before we get a ride home. And, um, um, sorry, we're just chit chatting about time because we realized that our first memories have taken forever. Um, but they were giving the awards and I was listening to the times that all of these leaders had actually finished their race in. And I was like, holy crap. 
But my, my greatest achievement was that I did not um, finish the half marathon before anybody or after anybody finished the full marathon. So that was my, <laughs> I was like, ha nobody yeah. ran twice as fast as I did no, in this race. People have in the world, but not in this race. So yeah. I guess maybe we should just. No, we can do a couple more. Should we do a couple more? It's fine. We can make it longer. All right. Okay. So we'll go a little longer on this that. one um, going next. Uh, okay. So the bad, because I think you guys want to hear these too. Um, the bad for me, um, this was kind of a funny one. So I've, I've really been really injured at, in points of my, uh, training career where I yeah, can't exercise. Yeah, you've been pretty lucky and not Well, lucky, it's lucky and it's skill. And I mean, there's, it's lu- lucky in a sense, but it's also, do you have technique? Do you have form? Do you listen to your body? Do you know how to prevent injury? So it's, it's a combination. Yeah. I um, it, there's also, I mean, I, the only reason I'm complaining is because, the injuries that I've had came from dancing before. And so it was like imbalances that had developed from a totally different sport trying to go into, right. you know. So. so so I've been injured very little when I've been uh, triathlon trained just because I've been you know smart about it and been somewhat lucky. But I did have a stress fracture in my foot at one point, um, which sucked. But basically what happened was is I was... Your foot got short. very stressed. It did. And stress fracture is an overused thing. But in my case, I stepped in a hole when I was running where I was oh, looking no. at it, twisted, and I got a stress fracture. So um, I couldn't run for a long time, but I could also bike and I could swim. And it was kind of in the middle of the summer. And I was like, okay, well, it's opportunity. It's always an opportunity. And that's a great thing about having three sports to triathlon. You can, you can almost all, if you're injured in one sport, if you're shoulder injury and you can't swim, you can run. Right. If you have a run injury in your leg, you can usually swim. You can mm-hmm. always kind of do something. And so there's this long endurance swim in the summer in Santa Barbara called, um, it's six, well, there's a Seminautica thing. So it's a six mile ocean swim. Is this the one where you fell out of yeah, the water? Yeah, just So I'm excited. This is a good this story. This is a good story, yeah. So this is one of those ones. And I've had, I've had horrible races. I've had races where I'm running a half, half Ironman or something and I'm standing on the side of the road running, puking, running, puking, running, puking. So this I've is had, a better story than this that. This is a better story than that. So this is, I've had bat, lots of bad races. So it, when I lead with that. Good story. There's lots been lots of bad races. Yep. But this one, I'm like, okay, I can do the swim. And I'm looking at the times, and I know guys where and they it's a placed. Six mile swim. Six right? mile swim. It's ocean. From ocean swim. It's from Goleta Beach to Henry's. Six Whew. mile ocean swim. Um, and I know guys that I swim with who have placed in it in the top five um, to ten. And I'm talking to them, and we're not dissimilar on speed. And so I'm thinking to myself, like, I can get in the top 10 here, maybe even top five, have a really good day out there. Mm-hmm. And I get better as the races get longer. So I'm thinking to myself, I'm pretty good. Like, mm-hmm. I'm, you give me 100 meters in a pool, that's not my, I'm not going to do right, that well. You give me a mile, I'm going to yeah. do pretty well. You give me six miles, I might even do better. Yeah. So I'm talking to them. The caveat is, is that unlike triathlon, Open water swimmers don't wear wetsuits. You're faster in a wetsuit. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if you wear a wetsuit, you're faster because you float more towards the surface. Right, which so, is where you want to be for your right. ideal So when you race a triathlon, if they allow wetsuits, if the water's cold enough, you always wear a wetsuit because it's an advantage. Even more, even though you have to strip it off. Yes. When you're getting Absolutely, it's always an advantage, even if it's short. Always an advantage to wear a wetsuit. But, but you're not it, allowed but, to for this race. But open water swimmers, it's kind of like a thing of like we don't wear wetsuits because it adds an extra thing and it's a you know and it's an it's extra a crutch. It's a crutch, basically, mm-hmm. and whatever. And I get it. I'm not saying that we're okay. hardcore. Yep. But I'm as triathletes are a lot leaner than open water swimmers. Open water swimmers tend to be a little bit heavier guys, a little extra like body mass. And you're talking about being in the ocean for 
two and a half ish hours. Yeah, two, a little two, extra body mass. Two and a half hurt. hours, depending on the current, for a six mile swim. And so I'm going back and forth and I'm talking with the race director. And um, she basically says, Look, like you can wear a wetsuit. I don't care because I'm, I'm nervous. I haven't done a lot of, lot of my open water swims have been 30 minutes maximum. Mm-hmm. Maximum. And two and a half hours versus 30 minutes is a big difference. I've yeah. Been, Plenty of That's significant. I have plenty of endurance to swim six miles. It's not about being tired. No, it's, it's about being about in the ocean. Being in the ocean and being cold. And I didn't do the training. And she's like, you can wear a wetsuit and we'll put your time up. You just get an asterisk and you can't get an award. And so then I'm the ego and me sets up and I'm like, am I really going to finish in the top you, 10? an ego. I know. Am I really no. going to finish in the top 10 with a wetsuit on? And then I'm not going to know really how I stacked up against the guys who didn't wear a wetsuit because it's an advantage. And, you know, if I did really good in the top five, like... So I'm going back and forth. And then I'm talking with an advisor I have who does it. Basically, is down south, this uh, open water swimming guy who I've known. I said, what do you think? And he basically gives me the, with you, 50-50 if you finish the race. And I'm like, what are you talking about? You were like, okay, challenge He's like, yeah, it's probably not going to, you know, your your body, Matt, your body You're too skinny. Yeah, 50-50 if you finish the race, if you haven't been training in the water. And I'm like... I'm like, all right, well, I'll take that like, 50% chance. Fine. Bring it on. Right. So six mile swim. I am doing great. And the water gets pretty <laughs> I'm cold. I'm doing great. Doing great in the beginning. It's cold. Is that what you just told yourself? I was, I'm doing great. I'm I was doing great. really cold for the first 20, 30 minutes. Okay. And the water on that day was not horrible, but it was 56, 58. So you put yourself in 56 or 58 degree water for two and a half hours. I won't. Thanks, though. And it chilled off. It was a little bit warmer, and then it chilled off. I think it was like 59, 60, and then it went to 56. So then I'm sitting there, and I am swimming. So then the coldness goes away, and you get in a rhythm, and you're just kind of numb to it. And I'm like, I'm good with this. Okay. So I'm in the you're top. You're like, I can hang with this. I'm in I'm the good. top five yeah. or six at about 90 minutes in. Mind mm-hmm. you, this is a 210 two, to 230 race, depending on the current. Ocean right. is very unpredictable. I'm not that far out. I'm over half the halfway point, right? Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, I basically get hypothermic. Yikes. And so I'm sitting there, and I'm basically getting – you have a kayak support. Well, you're not sitting. You're swimming. I'm swimming. You have kayak support, um, and they have lifeguards on jet skis and, and boats if something happens. But you have someone watching you at all times if it's because it's offshore and it can be dangerous. That's part yep. of the, the – I mean, open ocean is. So it's my dad and Shannon, and they're in the thing watching me. And so – all of a sudden, my form just falls apart, and I look like it's like baby. Like I'm going from the top five in the race, swimming goes like flopping or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I asked them, and all of a sudden, you know, I, I found this out all later because I don't really remember the end of the race. But mm-hmm. basically, you went from there to almost slowing down and then stopping and just kind of flailing my arms to the end part. And so they, my dad and Shannon said they knew it got really bad when they said basically it was like you pop. So we didn't. They're like you barely talked or even stopped or even got water for the first half like you maybe every 30 minutes you may get a couple swings of water and then right back at it they're like you would swim and then you would for and then you'd stop a minute later and you'd be like how far and they'd be like the gbs they'd be like 1.42 miles mm-hmm. and then you'd stop like a minute later how far 1.40 miles and so like i was stopping like every minute to try to see how far away am i right because i would know Function of time. I was super hypothermic and I was like, well, when were you going to, you know, signal over the lifeguard or get someone to take me out? And they were basically like, we don't want to have to do this race again with you because we knew if you didn't finish that you were going to want to do it again. You were going to do it again. Yep. So we just decided that we were going to let you keep going as long as you were moving. And as soon as you stopped moving, we were going to grab you and pull you in and single someone over. 
So long story short, I made it to the finish, six miles. By the way, there's a video of this. There's a video of this if you want to stop my Facebook feed, <laughs> my videos on my Facebook. I look like I've had about 18 beers. It's amazing. So you, you, you don't just finish the swim. You have to run up the beach maybe 200 feet, like not it's far. It's not far. It's yeah. like up out of the ocean into the soft sand and across a line. Because if you're really close neck and neck with someone, you have to spread at the beach to see who crosses the line first, right? So I'm it's incredible. It's an incredible like work I've had of 18 art. beers. I fall over three. I'm so up in the way. I can't see anything. I'm so dizzy and disoriented. I fall three times trying to go hundred or 200. Like feet. if you've spun your kid around in your arms for like 30 seconds and then you drop them and they fall over. Exactly. That's what it looks like. So I finish and they're like, Oh my God. And then one of the guys who I know who's at the finish realizes what's happened. He's like, get him, pull him over here. They put me in the hot sand. They throw blankets over me. And I warm up eventually. They take my, my blood pressure is extremely low. I'm extremely like, you know, happy there. And basically the, the gist of the story is, is that I end up not, they want to take me, the ambulance wants to take me to the hospital. I don't want to go to the hospital. And I finally convinced my parents who were there to support me when I was in Kayak and Shannon and everyone else. Like I will go to the ER, but I'm not taking an ambulance there. So I have to sign 18 papers away, my life yeah. away so that I don't That's sue them. Yep. And I don't go to the hospital. They take me. I want to take a hot shower. I can function and I can talk. And they're like, okay, we don't need to take you to the ER. But that was close. So that was the that was the bad. That was the bad. That was the bad. I don't know. You could call that the ugly too. But really, look up that video. It's incredible. Yeah. Um. Well, I don't have anything to rival that. That's amazing. What's well, just another good one? Okay. Is this the one I'm finishing on? No, I'm gonna do one more. We're gonna do one more. We're gonna okay. do a long podcast. All right. Today. Well, long one today, guys. So okay. Well, then I will go with. If this is boring, you can just turn the podcast off. Yeah, there's actually no one chaining you to it. I don't yeah. know if you knew that. but yeah. um, Okay, well, then I will talk about, uh, I guess that we could do the bad. We could do the bad. So I was, like I said, um, I was a dancer for a long time. Not a terribly good one. And I say, I always say that and people laugh at me and they're like, no, 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 you must have actually been a good one. And I'm like, no, no, I, I really wasn't. Um Ballet is a very unforgiving art. Um, it's also my first and greatest love. If I could be a professional ballet dancer, I would be. Um, there are a number of things that have prohibited me from that. Most of them are genetic. Um, there are just certain things that you you need when you're a ballet dancer, like not flat feet. Unfortunately, I have pretty flat feet comparatively to most ballet dancers. I'm a little bit too tall, and by a little bit, I mean about six to seven inches too tall. But anyway, for a long time and all the way through high school, I danced very seriously, um, like six days a week. Um, class would be at least an hour and a half a day, plus usually rehearsals for something would be another couple of hours every day. Um, and I loved it. I loved every minute of it. Um, there were some challenging things with other dancers because you feel, you know, it's hard not to feel... Um, compared to the other dancers as you go. Um, but it was one of my favorite things that I have ever done is sticking with ballet until I went off to college. And then I danced a little bit there, but just going, well, it's going with do, it Even if way. you know, I'm never going to be a professional dancer in a ballet. It's a good to like, I'm committed. I'm going to do this. I'm going to stick. Well, and I did until I was about 12, believe that I was going to be a professional dancer. Well, um, I think we all thought we were going to be. 12. Yeah. I mean, 12 was pretty old though. I really was like, no, this is what I want to do. And I still would do it if I could. Um, and I still do dance, but, um, the bad would probably be my junior year of high school. This was when myself and all of my friends who danced, cause we were all really close, 
we're really getting into doing like the bigger and fancier parts in the Nutcracker. So the Nutcracker Darlington, which I still do actually, but I'm a, in the party scene now, I play one of the parents. Um, but we, this is the time where you're in snow core, you're in the waltz core. This might not mean anything to most of you, but it's a big deal when you're in it. You get to start getting solos and things like that. And I tore a tendon in my foot. Oof, that's not um, fun. That basically was totally prohibitive for ballet in any way. I mean, you really need your feet when you're dancing. There's just no getting around it. Um, and I wasn't able to do the Nutcracker my junior year, which was really hard because everybody else got to. And all these girls had been dancing alongside. And some of them branched off to other kinds of dance, but it was really horrible. Um, and I told myself that senior year I was going to come back and I was going to do the Nutcracker for one more year because that was probably the last year I was going to do it. And it was really hard because I had to swallow the fact that a lot of the solos, a lot of the things that I probably would have been going for were not going to be feasible because all of the other girls who were competing for them because it's a professional had done production. It last year and you hadn't. I had thing. six months where I could not dance. Right. And they had six months where they were training every day to dance. And I had to swallow the fact that, well, I had to have a conversation with myself, which was, do you want to do this production knowing that you can't do it to the level that you originally wanted to? Or do you just not want to do it? Right. And you can still dance, but you just not want to put yourself in under that kind of pressure. And I ended up deciding that I wanted to do it anyway. And I was in the core. Um, I was in the snow core and the waltz core. And I was I didn't get to do any solos, um, which was really hard because pretty much everybody else in my year did. Um, but I was always really proud of myself that I decided to do the production anyway because I really would have regretted not doing yeah, that cracker like not, with. Like I'm just I can't make a solo, so I'm just gonna stop. I'm right, and not only just for my own kind of self-esteem and my own belief in myself, but also because that was the last year I was going to get to do it with any, you know, people my own age. And like I said, I do it now and it's such fun now. I mean, I do it, I'm in the party scene and I actually know some members who've come to see me with their families, which is really fun. Not just to see me, to see the Nutcracker. Um, and it's, it's a whole different kind of fun in that world. But I was really proud of myself that even though I had this really scary injury and honestly, for those of you who are familiar with ballet at all, I mean, we dance on our toes. We put our entire body weight on our toes. And having had a torn tendon in my foot, which is yeah, extremely slow to heal. Fully healed before you do anything. You can't and just... it's so slow to heal because your feet take forever to heal. Mm -hmm. And then it's True really scary to go up onto your toes and have to trust your entire body weight on this thing that has been so injured for so long. So... Um, I was really proud of myself for getting through that, even though I'm sure it wasn't the best performance of my life. I'm sure that it, you know, it wasn't quote unquote the best that I could be, but I felt that for my spirit, it, it was the best that I could be because I decided to do it anyway. So that's the bad for me, I guess. Yeah. The bad and the good, the good well, and the bad. I mean, that's, yeah, the bad is that happened and that's good that you went through it again. So. Yep. Cool. So that's about ballet one. All right. You got one more. Okay. One more. So the ugly one. So. The ugly one was one of those ones that's, uh, I think, I think when you say it's ugly, it's just got to kind of turn out good. Right. Um, so I, I had done a lot of triathlon. I had done Ironman, then I had done some short course racing 
And then I decided I was kind of like, I needed to take a break from triathlon for a little bit and do some endurance. I want to do some trail ultra marathons. Mm -hmm. So I built up and I did again, like, just like anything, like I say, it's kind of a multi-year plan. Um, I built up and I did subsequent years. I trained and then I did a 36 mile nine trails local race. There's one yeah, I was so, talking about, yeah, the podcast. We'll talk about on our trail and then when I didn't touch on, so then after that, I decided the next year, early in the year to do a 50 mile, um, red rock marathon, ultra marathon. So that is basically, you know, from red rock over Lucumbre, like the, not over Lucumbre peak, but over Camino Cielo, over the pass, over the peak, back down. Sandy Cedar Trail, turn around, run back up over the peak, and then back mm-hmm. down. Okay, so 50 miles. Um, and at the time, I didn't have – I wasn't, didn't have an adequate amount of time to train for it. I didn't have the focus and, let's say, the determination that I did when I was, like – Doing your 16 to 22 hours yes, prior. Yes, and I wasn't that structured. And I was enjoying the running and doing the, the racing and the training without having a crazy structure, meaning I need to do long runs on the weekends – I need to do X amount during the week, but I'm just going to kind of go and say, this is a general guidelines that I'm going to have, but it's not like I need to do four times, 10 minutes. And then I need to do this workout. And you know, it wasn't right. as structured and I was enjoying that, but I had to get a lot of miles in and I knew that. And I knew that I probably wasn't getting quite as many as I could. And so for me, it was one very long run on the weekends and upwards of, I don't know, they got up to like six hour trail runs on the That's weekends. That's a lot of hours. It is. But when the race is, nine to 10 hours, six hours is not nine to 10 hours, right? So my, my longest runs only got up to about six to seven hours. And during the week, I was just trying to get in between one to maybe to a two hour run during the week would be the maximum. So I was under trained going into this race. With that being said, I have a lot of years of experience in Ironman racing and knowing how to manage myself and pace myself over a nine hour day. So I go out in the race. I don't have any expectations. It's not like I went to Iron when I went to Ironman and I was set. And I'm like, I know if I do this well, I can have a shot. I can blah, blah, blah. It was like, let's go out and do it. I don't know who's showing up. I've never done a 50 mile right. race. I don't have that many expectations. So I went out. It was it was good. I just kind of got in a rhythm and um, you know, starting from you know, I ran. There's a couple different races. There's a trail marathon and there's. Um, a, there's a trail half marathon, there's a trail marathon, a 26, and then there's a 50 mile. There's nothing in between that. So I was with a bunch of runners in the beginning and then they kind of slowly faded out. And once they turned around for the marathon, 13 miles out, got, I realized I was in the lead. So I'm like, okay, so this is where we're going to be. I'm in the lead. I'm all alone. I'm all alone. <laughs> I've no never been more alone. Me. You're in the back country. <laughs> Of this day was uh, nine hours and 47 minutes, I believe, to, to do the whole entire race. I was probably alone for eight of that nine hours and 47 minutes. Well, you get to reflect on the beauty of life and nature. It's true, but a couple hours of that would have been fine. So you get out there and you're alone or whatever, and you're getting a whole... So in a, in a triathlon race, you get pretty good splits. Your spectators are on the road. People can say, hey, so-and-so is this much ahead of you, this much behind you. They're not that accurate, but you get some. When you're on the trails in the backcountry where there's not cell reception, you don't know what it is. You're all alone. (laughs) You don't really know where you are. You're getting some checkpoints because there's radios from there every every one and a half to two hours. I know that sounds crazy. You get an aid station. Well, they don't want you to die. No, they don't. But I mean, it sounds crazy that it's that long, right? 
In Ironman racing, just to give you an perspective, on the marathon, every mile you have an aid station. Well, yeah, when I ran the half marathon, there was an every aid mile. station every mile at okay. least, yeah. So we're talking every, you don't get an aid station, you have to carry a, a water pack and everything. You don't get an aid station every, it's, it's every hour and a half to two hours, okay? So I'm getting kind of splits when I get, I'm in the lead, so it's not like, hey, the last guy was 10 minutes behind you or five minutes behind you or right. two minutes behind you. You're getting of like, Oh, at the last checkpoint, which was two hours ago, right? the last guy was X amount behind you, five minutes. Yeah. So two hours ago of racing, the guy behind you was five minutes back. Mm-hmm. Okay. What does that mean? Two hours ago. You know what I mean? So you, so I get through and I'm doing this and I wouldn't really find this out until after the race. But at one point I had, um, in the lead, I was 14 minutes up, mm-hmm. which is significant. That's yeah. it's a significant margin. Okay. So I get there and it's a long, so basically you go a lot of climbing, huge up and over, then a big climb back. And then you have a long downhill and then you're at about mile 40 and then mile 40 to 50, you still have a thousand foot climb to go up and then back down. So I was good all the way to back down. The longest runs I had done been in the 30 mile range, mid 30 miles. So I still had another 15 miles at the end of this to go. And I was hit mile 40 and I just like hit a wall. Okay? Mm-hmm. So this is where the ugly comes in. Not only are you hitting a wall and feeling like you're fading, but you're leading the race. Mm-hmm. So you're like, oh my God, I'm in the lead. And I knew I had a decent lead. I knew I was in the, that was in the So you were like, range. it's going to feel even worse if I lose yes, this right now. Yes. And so my whole goal became not to race to my potential. My whole goal became minimize the damage. Don't lose lose the least amount of time possible, right? And just try to maintain and don't let the guy behind you see you, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Because if he's in the lead and he's been getting splits all day, the last split I got, I thought maybe it was 10 minutes behind. I found out later it was 14 minutes behind me at one mm-hmm. point. But if he says, oh, the guy's 10 minutes up, there's no way I'm catching him. And there's no one close behind him. He can ease up a little bit. And everyone's suffering. 40 mm-hmm. miles indoors, everyone's suffering. Right, it's not like they're waiting, no. lying in wait, feeling no. great. But if he can yeah. see me... Because sometimes you can see on the trail, yeah. like half a mile ahead, a mile ahead. If he can see me a half mile or a mile ahead, that gives him motivation. Uh-huh. So I'm doing this last climb and I'm going into this mode of walk four minutes, run one minute. Uh-huh. Okay. Walk three minutes, run two minutes. I'm on these five minute things, just trying to get up this hill. Uh-huh. And I'm around the point of where I'm like hiding in the shadows and under the bushes and trying to be like sneaky because I don't want him to see me. And I don't know how far back he is. Or That's amazing. Else. I wish I could have seen that. And I'm like, all I can think of my is to get to the top of the climb. I knew once I got to the top of the climb, I could turn my legs over and run downhill and I'd be okay. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, get to the top of the climb. So I kept going, kept going, kept going. And I'm just dying in my own head. Like, whatever. And I'm in the lead. I'm like, don't lose this. You've worked too hard. You've worked. You've been out here for freaking, you know, eight hours racing and you're in the lead. Don't mm-hmm. blow it. Just don't, don't blow, blow it. it. And yeah. it's just ugly because I'm saying don't blow it. And I'm probably swerving. on I don't even know. I'm swerving on the trail. It just is ugly at this mm-hmm. point, right? So I get to the top of the last climb. It's mostly downhill. And then I start clicking off like eight minute pace at the end going downhill. And I'm like, okay. Like when you're going uphill, you can lose a lot of time very quickly. It's, you know, to walk uphill, you can be walking 15 minute miles. And if someone's running, they can run 10 mm-hmm. minute miles, right? On the downhill, I'm running eight minute pace. He's not running, you know, six minute pace downhill. Right. So I'm like, okay, I'm clicking off eight minute mile pace here at the end. This is fun. This is good. You know, just running in, just, just get to the finish or whatever else it is. And somehow I make it, I make it to the finish. I win the race. 
And I'm like, oh my God. And he strolls in like four minutes later, less than four minutes later. Four minutes? Yes. I went from, in the last 10 miles, I lost 10 minutes. Wow. That's 10 miles, I lost 10 minutes. So I lost a minute per, he was running a minute per mile faster than me. Yeah. In the last 10 miles. Do you think that's just because he was going slower in the beginning? No, I think he paced it better and I just hit a wall and died. Yeah, but you still got him. But I still got him. I still won. So that was where it was ugly. It was like, oh my God, I won. This is great. But like, it was ugly at the end. So, you know, it doesn't really matter in the end, but it was an interesting experience. Fun fact, I was in Brussels while you were doing this. I remember seeing the posts and checking in and writing you Facebook messages because whatever, I don't have texting and saying, hey, how'd it go? Did you win? I'm probably still racing as you. Oh, and I'd eaten two Belgian waffles that day, and I regret neither one of them. Um, yeah, no, that's uh, I when you're just talking to yourself to try and get through it, which I think a lot of us can relate to right now, um, not just in this podcast, but in this uh, quarantine state of being, when you're just talking to yourself to get through it, you know, there is an end in sight. There, It might not be in sight, but there is an end. Just keep talking to yourself. Um talking yourself through it. And hopefully we're talking you through it a little bit too. Um, to finish on mine, I don't really have, I mean, I do have ugly ones, but. Well, it doesn't have to be ugly. I just took that. I am not often ugly. Uh, that's not true. I absolutely am. But um, this is just the last one that came to mind um, that actually combines kind of the two things that I was talking about before, which is my, my memories in ballet and my memories um, and my, you know, changes that I've experienced since I started working out in the rise up kind of style, since I started working out with Kyle and Emily and doing these group style classes, which was totally new to me when I started. Um, and I hadn't been, so this is when I started working out this way with Kyle and Emily, it was, uh, I was 22 because it was right after college. I was working in town. Um, for a while I was working three jobs at once, which I know a lot of you have done and it's very challenging to do. Um, and when you're young, you're kind of like, oh, well, I'm young and I can get away with anything, but I definitely wasn't getting away with anything and I was not in good shape and I was not feeling good. Um, and I hadn't been doing anything physical since I had taken a few dance classes in college. Um, and basically I was really scared to go back to ballet at any point. So after I'd been training for a little while doing these group style classes, I was feeling really good. I'd lost a little bit of weight. Um, I was getting stronger. I was getting faster. I was feeling excited about my progress, but what I was really always holding on to in my heart was I really wanted to go back to ballet and I was really scared to because I hadn't done it in so long. And it's a really demanding activity. It's a really demanding art. You don't just jump into it and be able to take a ballet class. I mean, that's why there's, I think, so much admiration for a lot of practice for ballerinas. Yeah, well, it's I mean, determination, you, skill, and training. And, you know. Right. I mean, you talk about having a lot of experience in triathlon and therefore being able to do something. If you were going to dance in a ballet, it's not six months out. No, it's not even two years out. Right. It's probably you know five or six. Right. And when you you know you look at some of these actors and actresses who've had to play them in the movies. I mean, like for Black Swan, which is actually a very good movie. Um, Natalie Portman was training five hours a day and she was a dancer when she was young for like a year just to be able to mimic right just be able to it do well it. enough in the camera while they can cut and do that exactly and do that again. it's not a it, show it's like do these three moves and then we're going to change the angle and right. she screws up do it again she screws up do it again right and yeah. you have somebody else dancing the the intricate parts and everything 
it's an incredibly demanding thing to choose to do with your life or even just recreationally, which is what it is for me now. I'm clearly not going to be a professional. Um, so I would, but I have, I, I hold myself to high standards and I knew what I was capable of doing before I stopped, even though it wasn't that impressive, but it was, you know, the best I'd ever been. And I was really scared. And the first couple classes, when I actually got myself back in the studio, I was so pleasantly surprised with the fact that the work that I had done in a totally different arena in these translated in these cardio strength classes translated in a way that I never expected. Right. Um, and even though there were lots, I mean, my turnout wasn't quite there. And a lot of the things that are the intricacies you want, but the fitness, but the, the fitness and the, so the muscle memory was all there. My muscles know how to do what they're supposed to do. They right. did it for years and years and years. But they, not all of them can get quite where they want to go anymore. Mm-hmm. But I was so surprised with how, you know, especially on some of the things that really do require a little bit more strength, um, some of the lifts, some of the extensions, I was like, oh, I actually have the strength, you know, to be able to do that. And when we're jumping, you know, even though my feet and my calves are getting really fatigued because I don't do a lot of work, like, I mean... We don't do a lot of work literally with our feet because you have to use all all of the muscles and tendons and and ligaments in your feet to do all this. But I could jump and jump and jump and not be breathing so hard that it doesn't look like I'm dancing anymore, you know? And, um, and of course there were lots of things that hurt that, that are totally different muscles and different things that you use. But I was so excited that I was like, wow, what if I, you know, if I could go back to being 17 and dancing six days a week and doing this, three days a week, you know, doing like rise up three cool. days a week. What, what could I have done? So it was just a really exciting thing to say, you know, you're, you're not done doing this thing you love. You don't have to stop dancing right. ballet just because you're not well, doing it I, six days I a week. I love that you know? people are like, well, how could you take that much time off and then get away with like being able to get back into ballet that quickly? It's like the same with running. Like when I've been running for triathlon training for 10 years and you take some time off and then you get back to it, it's not like you're starting fresh. Like, but you're coming back in those, you have that muscle memory, you have the skills, your body knows what to do. Right. So you you know what fitness and you need some, you need to remind the muscle memory. You need to to develop the strength again. The first several weeks of those classes, I was unbelievably sore. Right. And now that, you know, since, um, since this quarantine, my ballet school has actually been doing online classes, but unfortunately they're just not at a time in the day that I can really be able to do them regularly. Um, they're doing the zoom classes, which is great for their students. Um, but it, it takes several classes to, to get even marginally more comfortable in those postures and those positions again. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's what's born of you practicing these things. And so if you're at home and you're worrying that you're never going to be able to climb or ski or row or bike again, your body knows yes. it knows it's going it to be, will come it, back. it's not like it's not going to be challenged in the beginning. You're not going to be sore. You're not going to be out of breath. It's going to be hard. It'll come back a lot quicker than you yeah. think. Yeah. yeah. So this was a really long one. I know. Days. So if you enjoyed Thank listening you for sticking to our, with us. our fitness highs, lows, uglies, things, hopefully you enjoyed it. If you didn't, you probably aren't listening now. So, so if you loved this, um, great. Let, you know, let us know if you hated it. Great. Let us know. Um, and we'd love to hear from you what you want to hear. So, We'll talk to you guys tomorrow, and we hope you have a really great day. All right. Thank you. Bye. Bye.